Okay, well, good morning. Um, don't you just love snow? Um, I hate snow, but well, well done for those of you who have got here this morning. Um, we, we took the call at about 6.30 this morning that we were just going to come down to one service today. We just thought, we thought most of you would open the door and go, it's freezing. Um, I'm not going to church. Uh, that was our assumption. <laughs> and, and so we decided to do one service today. So um, everything back to normal next week, hopefully, uh, as long as this freakish weather um, goes away. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Steve. Um, I'm married to Tammy, where uh, we help lead this thing, uh, masquerading as a church. Um, and so it's wonderful to welcome you if you are our guests this morning. It's great to have you with us. Um, before I dive into my talk this week, uh, I just wanted to um, highlight something that was gone, went out on email this week. Uh, you may have seen something that looks a little bit like this. Um, we are about to start our new financial year, and um, uh, we are so grateful um, uh, to those that sacrificially give. Uh, to the life of our church. About, we, we've worked out, um, numbers are going up, about 52% of you uh, have filled in a standing order and give on a regular basis, which is fabulous. It just really helps us budget and um, make sure we know what sort of income we have coming in. And so every time at this time of year, as we're getting ready for the new financial year, uh, the reality is, is that we can't budget for unexpected income. Okay, so throughout the year, we will have income that's unexpected, um, but we can't budget for that. And so as a result, um, Esther has managed to get us down to a £10,000 loss uh, this year. And so, um, well done, Esther. Uh, we've, been, <laughs> we've been sending each other spreadsheets all week, going, oh no, oh no, we're going to have to get instant coffee. Um, uh, there's a reason to give. Um, um, but suffice to say, um, under your seats, there is a form that looks like this. And uh, we would love it if 65% of our church gave in some sort of tax-efficient, regular way. Um, and so um, what I want you to do is, if you are considering giving uh, in any kind of way like that, is to take one of these forms that are under your seat. And if, you've got, if you're a him and you've got a her or if you're a her and you've got a him, then I want you to, what I want you to do is go home and I want you to pray, speak to the Lord, and, and see what he would have you give. Um, you know, we don't have any preconceived ideas about giving. Uh, we believe God will determine those things. And so, but could I encourage you, encourage you to do that? And what we would love is if, if there's any new giving uh, to come into the church, we'd love to have those forms back by next Sunday uh, so we can put it into the budget and, and not feel desperate. Um, <laughs> um, so we, have, we are going into the financial year with a bit of a shortfall. Um, so we've got um, about a 10,000 uh, 10, pound short, shortfall, but then on top of that, we would like to raise another 38,000 over the year um, in order to just grow and expand what we're doing. Uh, as you know, we're gonna be planting two churches this year. Uh, we're gonna be doing a whole number of things. and so. Um, we do want to see our income grow as well. Um, we also, we also recognise that our, our staffing levels for the size of church is a little bit low, and so we do need to consider that over the year as well. Does that, does that all make sense? 
Good, good church. Okay, well done. Um, so last week, uh, we began a series that we're calling uh, The Story of God, and, um, which is part of a year-long campaign uh, that we're calling The Year of Biblical Literacy. And so over this year, we, in an age where people are no longer literate, you know, people don't really read stuff anymore to any great depth, um, we were attempting to be a people who become increasingly biblically literate. And so this, this, this series is about ex- exploring the big story, the big story of the Bible, what we often call the, the meta-narrative. And um, now you might remember right at the start of this year when we launched the Year of Biblical Literacy, um, uh, we, said, we said this, we said the Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human. You remember Paul did that analogy of the two hands? Um, but so it's, the Bible is a, a collection of writings that are both divine and human that together tell the unified story which leads us to Jesus. So that's kind of our working definition of the Bible for this, this year. And so that unified story is really what we're exploring together in this series. We're attempting to tell this unified story, this meta-narrative of the scriptures. And so we're taking hold of this idea that the Bible is one story um, with many different authors, uh, different types of literature, different plots, different subplots. But hopefully, over the next few weeks, we'll see the whole big story and how it all holds together. Now, we often talk about that story um, of the Bible being broken down into four elements. I think we've got those up on the slide. Uh, Creation, fall, redemption, and the renewal or the restoration of all things. Now, for the longest time, Christians have focused um, on, on the two central plot points of this story, which is, which is fall and redemption. And whilst that that's, a, that's a true part of the story, it's actually when we, but we, we can find ourselves just focusing and narrowing our focus. And what happens is we end up with a truncated or a half story of the scriptures. And, and um, the analogy that we've used in the past is it's a bit like going to see a film at the cinema and turning up 20 minutes late. I don't know if you've ever turned up late for a movie. Um, I often do it at home when Tammy's watching something and I'm not that interested and then I do get interested. And, and what happens is you, you turn up late and so you've got no idea what's going on. Often, you know, in the first 20 minutes of the film, the characters have, have kind of been explained a little bit and you kind of know the story that they're on and the trajectory they're on. And, and so I'm one of those annoying people that says, well, who's he? And why did he say that? And why are they doing that? You know, because I've turned up late. And, and, uh, and so, so when we truncate the story of the scriptures, it's a bit like showing up to a movie 20 minutes late, but it's also like leaving 20 minutes before the end. And so not only do we miss the beginning, but we also mi- miss the climax of the story. We miss where the story is going. And so we, we fail to see the true outcome of the story. 
And often what happens is, is we reduce God's story to about sin management. That we, we kind of take on a gospel of sin management, where people pray a prayer of forgiveness, and then they're warehoused in churches like this until they die. That's essentially what we do, isn't it? We, we make it all about what's to come. We will make it about a personal salvation, and we just keep you mildly entertained. You fill in a standing order form. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and you get to go to heaven when you die. Um, yeah, if you don't fill in the standing order form, it's questionable. Um, and so today... We're looking at this subject, the fall. After Easter, uh, we're going to start looking at the, this process of redemption. And we're going to look at it in a, different, a few different ways. We're going to look at Israel and the covenants. Uh, and then we're going to look at Jesus. And then we're going to look at the church and this thing called the new covenant. And then we're going to finish off uh, looking at the restoration or the renewal of all things. That This is heading towards, this story is heading towards a climax. And, um, and so that I guess... Um, the question might be, why is it important to read the Bible in this way? Why should we read the Bible as one big narrative? And um, is, is an interesting quote uh, from a book called The Drama of Scripture. It says, the Bible as the shape um, of a story that is an immense, sprawling, capacious narrative. It, it functions as the authoritative word of God for us when it becomes the one basic story through which we understand our whole experience and through the foundations upon which we base our decisions and our actions. It is one thing to confess the Bible to be the word of God, but often quite another thing to know how to read the Bible in a way that lets it influence the whole of our lives. I would imagine those of us who turn up in a room like this would say, yes, the Bible is the word of God. But it's another thing to allow the scriptures um, that we read to influence the whole of our lives. That, that every aspect of what the scriptures tell us, the story that it holds, to allow that to shape every aspect of our lives. So today is act two of this, this story of God as we retell this narrative. And we're calling it Naked and Ashamed. Can I just say, don't Google that, okay? There was a weird song in the 70s called Naked and Ashamed, apparently, but there was also other things on Google that aren't helpful. Um, my wife checks my browser history, don't I? But, you know, it's easy to, um, it's easy to, she, honestly, um, uh, it's all Star Wars, yeah, um, or conspiracy theory videos, okay, um, don't get me there, okay, it's easy to detach ourselves from a story like this one, uh, because we're really familiar with it. Um, and yet, if there's a story in the Bible that we can most relate to, it has to be the story of Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Adam and he, Eve, the, the first 
human beings, these, these figures of humanity and life are created to be in relationship with God. And um, they're also created to rule over this creation that, that God has made. But suddenly something happens. A curse takes place. And that's where we're entering into the story today. And so a story that starts with much beauty has suddenly gone wrong. And, you know, it always seems that every great story, I don't know if you've noticed this, but every great story often has moments of conflict. Moments of conflict where, where the heroes of the story are kind of backed against the wall. You know, where, where they're, they're, there's conflict going on, where they're in trouble, where the good guys aren't winning and the bad guys are. I'm sure we can all think of stories like that. We can all think of different climactic moments in stories. Uh, some of you know I'm quite fond of a slightly um, underwhelming franchise uh, called Star Wars. Um, but, um, you know, in Star Wars, every self-respecting Star Wars fan knows that the best movie in the whole original trilogy would be The Empire Strikes Back. Um, and, um, and The Empire Strikes Back is the best movie uh, because it's where all the heroes are in trouble. You know, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. Um, I want a fridge like that, you know, with Han Solo on the front. Um, I, so the, the geek in me is coming out. Um, so Han Solo, he's frozen. He's probably dead because Harrison Ford didn't want to be in the next movie. So they, um, and then Luke, he gets his hand chopped off by his dad. Okay, that's pretty messed up, isn't it? And, and the Emperor... Papa Palpatine, he is on the winning, the winning step, hence the name of the movie, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, you see, every good story has a climactic moment of conflict. And so what is it in God's story that causes everything to go wrong? And it's one word. It's not a not a popular word, but it's one word, sin. And see, to really understand this story, we have to understand the story of sin. Aren't you glad you come to church this morning? <laughs> you see, when sin enters this story, sin is the thing that stops the world from being all that it's meant to be. See, the world is meant to be a community of grace that reflects the nature of who God is. You see, in the beginning, God creates all things and repeatedly said, it's good. You know, he, he put the stars in place, he, he shaped the earth, he created the living creatures, he created mankind, and God's response is, this is good. Everything was in Harmony. Everything was as God intended it to be. Relationship between God and Adam was perfect. Relationship between Adam and Eve, the relationship between Adam and Eve and the world, it was all in harmony. It was all as God intended it to be. And it all flows out of this community of grace, this oneness that, that flows from God himself. 
that God himself lived in a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a, a community of grace, love, and, and harmony. Dallas Willard, he, he puts it like this, that the aim of God in history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as the primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Now, it's important to understand that in this story, grace precedes sin. And if you're a Calvinist, you just have to forgive me, okay? But grace precedes sin. And that's really important because a lot of us have been told that grace is God's answer to sin. But that isn't it. Sin, you know, sin is a, it didn't make grace necessary. You see, that's not the story. You see, the whole story starts with a community of grace. And grace is there already before sin enters into the story. See, sin is ignited by a serpent. And the serpent starts to talk to the first people. Now, I don't know if you think about that for a moment. If, if um, you saw a snake and it started talking to you, I would run as fast as I possibly could. And that's not fast. But... Um, <laughs> I would run. You know, you wouldn't hang around, would you? Um, but instead, Eve engages in a conversation uh, with, this, with this snake. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Genesis 2? We're going to look at the very last verse, verse 25, and then flick over to Genesis 3. And it says, it says this. It says, um, Adam and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And we must not even touch it or you will die. You will, not certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing, God, knowing good and evil. Now let's just, just pause there. You know, I think it was Tommy said last week that you know, the primary purpose of, the, of this creation story, of this, this story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, is, is to reveal to us our identity. It reveals who we are. It, it starts by telling us who we are created to be. And the truth is, in the midst of the serpent's lies, the truth is Eve was already like God. She was already created in God's image. See, that's the irony uh, of, of the direction that this story is taking. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable to gain wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, 
and he ate it too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, good old man, uh, the woman you put here, she gave me some, uh, some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed. And, and God goes on, he curses the livestock and the animals and the serpent, and he curses childbirth. It's all woman's fault. Uh, I'm only kidding. I'm not a misogynist. Um, um, I haven't even got a second service to correct that. Um, um, But you know, this story is so familiar to many of us. But I guess for many of us, when we hear this story, we hear it this way. We hear this, we hear God has a bunch of rules. Adam and Eve didn't obey the rules. So God punishes Adam and Eve, and he's been punishing humanity ever since. That's kind of how we understand this, isn't it? It's kind of how uh, this is taught. But here's the problem with that. You know, if we believe that sin is only about rules and regulations, we miss the true tragedy of this story. You see, the story of sin isn't about regulations. It's about relationships. Sin is, is a problem, not because, just because rules get broken, but because relationships get broken. That relationships get broken, it causes this, this, this catastrophe in the story where this community of grace that God has brought us into is destroyed. Think about it this way. Let's say... You're a parent, and, and one of the rules that you have is that past a certain time of day, your child, your little beloved, cannot play in a certain part of the street. Now, you're not making that rule because the street is bad or evil, or because you want to spoil your child's fun. You have that rule out of love and a desire to protect your child from harm. You don't want them to be in a situation that will cause pain to them or to the whole family. You see, when God says, don't eat that particular tree, he doesn't say to create some sort of invisible line to see if they will cross it but he does it to protect his family, this community of grace. 
You see, the story of sin is primarily about what causes this community, this relational connection to break down. And you see, Adam and Eve simply did what we've all done. Basically, they, they, they said to God, what I want and what I need, it's about me. I'm going to place me at the center of my world. And I'm going to put myself first. It's about me and my world. It's not about us and our. And as a result, we live in a world that's broken by sin. It's broken by my sin, by your sin. You know, all of us have sin, don't we? And all of us suffer the effects of sin. Have you ever been in this, this place where you think, I'm, I'm just like the greatest person in the world right now? Have you ever been in that place? Um, on, on Friday, um, in, in our house, we, um, we kind of protect a Friday evening so we hang out as a family and watch a movie and eat nice food and all those sorts of things. But um, we, we decided to watch a movie on Friday and we watched the, the movie Wonder. I don't know if any of you have seen that film. Um, maybe we should just go and watch it. Maybe that's what we should do. Um, if you haven't watched it, go and watch it. Um, but it's about a child who is born, his parents have these certain genes, and he's born with a disfigurement. And, um, and uh, he, he grows up, and he, he's going to school. And um, it's one of those movies where, you know, if you're the dad in the room, you're coughing a bit, you're like... <laughs> <clears throat> and you're kind of like, oh, I've got something in my eye. Um, but actually, it's one of those movies, when you see a film like that, you feel like, oh, life is so great. I'm such a great person. I've got such an emotional connection to this. And then within 10 minutes of the film finishing, I'm telling one of my kids off. And something ugly comes out of me all of a sudden. And, and that was, that's a very long-winded way of saying that, but... But there's this reality that no matter how good we are, no matter how in tune we might feel, sin still often has a grip, doesn't it? It still often pulls at us. It still often affects us. I don't know why I just said that. I've gone off piece. Um, but sin isn't simply about breaking rules and laws. It's much more than that. It's about anything that breaks relationships breaks the relationship that we have with God and with each other. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, Romans 1, verse 25, he says, they, meaning anyone who's ever been created, they have sinned, they've exchanged the truth about God. They've, ex- they've, they've, they've basically said that God isn't the centre of the universe, I'm at the centre of the universe. They have engaged um, the, the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served creative things rather than the creator. You see, one of, one of the ways the Bible defines sin is another old-fashioned word, which is idolatry. You've heard, heard that word. And um, I, idolatry is really just misdirected worship. Or as, as one person used to say, it's worship turned in on itself. And, and, and so the tragedy of this story is that we exchange the story of God for a story of us, for a story of me. 
And you see this wonderful story of God that who created all things, who created us to be in relationship with him, was exchanged for a lesser story, a story that centers around individuals. You see, sin is ultimately anything that breaks down that community of grace we were made for. Well, if you think about it like this, think about, you know, the best marriage you can think of. You know, the best married couple. I know Tammy and I are guiding examples of this. Um, uh, You know, the one where both husband and wife are just, you know, they're out for themselves, seeking to please themselves. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen a marriage like that. Um, But think think about the best marriage where that person, that husband, is constantly laying his life down for his wife, and she's constantly laying her life down for the husband. They're constantly looking to outserve one another. When we see a marriage like that, um, we think, what a great marriage. Don't we? We think, what, a, what an amazing husband and wife. And we celebrate it because it reflects what we're made for. It reflects something of that community that we're made for. could say the same thing about great friendships or a great business. You know, everyone loves a business that isn't just driven by a profit line, that that profit just becomes the outcome of investing in something that's good and right and going to change the world. When we look uh, look at the Bible... And how it describes sin. Ultimately, they're the things that force us to, sin is the thing that forces us to focus on individual desires rather than things that benefit others. See, sin is anything that breaks that community of grace that we were made for. You know, lying, cheating, stealing, murder. They aren't just sins because they're rules that God has set but they're also something that actually breaks down relationship. It's, they're also things where people get what they want at the expense of others. You see, whenever there are short-term gains, you know, where, where, wherever there, there are short, short-term gains, like sin gives us, uh, whether that's, short-term gains to money or fame or sexual gratification. Whenever we go for those things, it's always at someone else's expense. You see, because sin is always the thing that breaks down God's community of grace. Even the tragedies we see and read about every single day in the news are ultimately a result of that breakdown of relationship, about individuals seeking what's best for them at the expense of others. You see, sin is not some outdated religious word. Sin is the problem with the world. Sin is the problem with my world. And it's not a problem that's solved by following rules and modifying my behavior. You know, it's possible for me to try really hard, okay? 
I normally get to about Tuesday. And, and I try really hard and I follow all the rules and become the best person I know, but still, have God, still not have God at the center of my life. We all know that, don't we? We all know it's possible to try to be good. And so, we, and so in this story, we have to deal with the issue of sin. And we have to deal with, with, with um, and we have to deal with it by thinking about another word. Another word um, that's in the Bible, which we're equally uncomfortable with. And that's the word repent. You know, if, it's another, another word with baggage, isn't it? Because when we, when we hear that word, repent, um, we think it means you need to feel really bad and promise not to do it again. Isn't that, that's kind of what we hear, don't we, when we hear that, that word, repent. But actually, there are some different um, ways that we can view um, the word repent. In the Old Testament, um, the, um, the, the Hebrew word for repent is teshuva. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I'm not Hebrew, so I wouldn't know. Um, but that word means to return, to go back to where you began, to go back to where you belong. And you see, repentance is the realization that the center of our lives is not aligned with God and that we have to make a choice to return, to go back to where we belong. Jesus tells a story that reflects this idea of repentance being a, a, a process of going back to where you belong. He, he tells the story of a son who rejects his father's inheritance. Well, he takes it early and he, and he decides he's going to go off to a far land and he's just going to squander everything his father has given him. And one day, as he's left with nothing, he's left destitute, he's left, you know, feeding, feeding himself from the, 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 the trough of pigs, he suddenly realizes, you know, my father's servants have a better deal than I do. And, he, and it says this in Luke 15, 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. In one translation, it says he got up and he returned. That, that word there. And um, he returned to his father. And then we read, which, which I think is probably one of the most precious portions of Scripture. It says, whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You see, the father hadn't given up on his son. He hadn't stopped looking for his son. He, and he even runs out after him and he hugs him and he, and he puts a ring on his finger. And, and this son who returns home, he throws in this amazing party to celebrate the son who has returned. You see, repentance 
for the son was the realization that he had chosen self over community. He'd chosen himself over God, and he'd, cho- he'd chosen uh, his need to, to consume what he needed to consume, put himself at the center of the story instead of turning to the Father and turning back to his community. And in many ways, that story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son is what God has been up to ever since sin entered into this story. You see, God's dream is to restore everything that is broken. That that God wants to take the brokenness of the world and he wants to make it new. But that restoring process first happens through repentance. Turning back, us turning back and going back to that place that we belong. And so what do we have to return to today? What are, what are some of the things that have become the centerpiece of our lives that actually rob us from engaging in that community of grace, that community with God, with each other, and the world around us? What things break relationship that we were made for? You know, the scriptures tell us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And you see, that was the heart of the father in that story. He was out, I imagine, every day looking for his son. Is he going to return home? Is today the day he returns? You see, it's the kindness of the father that goes out that leads us to that place of repentance. And so although catastrophe has entered into the story, and you know we're going to go on a journey in the next few weeks of how God deals with that catastrophe, but primarily the catastrophe is dealt with through our repentance, through our turning around, for us choosing to turn and return to the place we belong. So why don't we stand and we'll pray.